0: Hear the word of our God. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, but Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will lose will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, Before this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this intimate look into our Savior's heart. And we pray that we would hear what he has to say, that we would see him in his struggle and that you would work within our hearts, comfort through it. For we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. We uh, read this passage. We started looking at it last week. The Pharisees look at the triumphal entry and their response is everyone's going after this man. And immediately John cuts us over probably to something on Monday or Tuesday that happened and says, yes, the world is coming to Christ. The Greeks are appearing, wanting to see Jesus. And we looked a little bit at that last week. Christ sees the Greeks coming and his thought is, Goes something like this. The Greeks come to see me lifted up on the cross. The hour of suffering. But the cross is the declaration that the hour of my glory has come. And so Christ says now has come the hour that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he talks about a troubled heart and about the cross and that That's hard, therefore, for us to look at, I think. But that's what's going on. Christ sees this hour, His hour to be glorified, yet His soul is troubled because the cross is the event that signals His glory, His triumph is upon us, is upon Him. And yet, He has to pass through that cross to come to the glory. And that provides us with wonderful comfort in the text this morning. Be- because you know trouble. Your soul knows trouble. Often, perhaps, your soul knows trouble. C- currently, perhaps, your soul experiences turmoil. Maybe you're troubled by sins. Influence, uh, sin's control that you feel like it has on your life. Maybe you're troubled by suffering and the weight of long-term illness or pain or loss or grief. Maybe you're troubled by relationships, broken relationships that that you uh, wish could be mended, or you're troubled because you are too bitter to want to mend the relationship. You are troubled, perhaps, with loneliness. Or maybe you're troubled because you don't get enough solitude and there's too much busyness. Trouble comes upon us in so many different versions, and it comes so frequently. It can come trouble because of social expectation or things you disagree with that's expected of you. Trouble surrounds us. And here Christ tells us, now my soul is troubled. Christ's troubled soul. He who countless times had healed diseases with a touch or with a word He who multiple times had cast out demons with a command. He who had walked on the waves and commanded the storm to be still. He who had spoken just recently to a dead corpse that was already smelling and the man walked forth. This one experiences great agony and conflict in his soul. Should it surprise us that any of the rest of us experience hardship and trouble in our souls if if he experienced this as well? Now, when when Christ talks here about his soul being troubled, we, we could understand it on the most simple level. Christ is talking about his imminent death, and as one who is fully human, there's the natural shrinking from death, isn't there? I, I know there's been stoical people who drank poison in a stoic manner uh, to die, or or martyrs who, for the name of Christ, faced death head on without. But in all of these instances, it is either someone who is hardening themselves so that they don't shrink from it because it's natural to shrink or someone who's crazy. And we all know that, don't we? There's a natural shrinking from our deaths. Is that all that this is for Christ, though? Certainly not. His soul is troubled, but he has big things on his mind. It's not just physical death he fears. In fact, this is the Savior who had said, do not fear the one who can harm your physical life, but fear the one who has the power over both life and eternity. Hell. Christ here is not shrinking back just in the natural way. No doubt he had those feelings. He was fully human. But there's something more. There's something more. It's what J.C. Ryle calls a shrinking from that old doctrine. The doctrine of substitutionary atonement. That teaching which Christ knew he was going to the cross, not just to die, but that on the cross he would bear the sins of his people. On the cross, he would experience an eternity of hell for everyone who would believe. Which is mind-boggling. What would take me an eternity to experience? He experienced in hours. If you think about the pressure increased for something to be experienced in a shorter period of time, and that's for everyone who would believe. Here Christ is shrinking from this. We, to understand what Christ has before him on the cross, we have to understand God. For those of you who were part of our book group yesterday, I hadn't read that section of the book yet when I prepared this sermon this week. It, it's just a reality that to understand the cross We must understand God. And the God that we find in the Bible does not have one attribute that is superior to all the other characteristics and attributes. But He is perfect in all that He is. So when we look at God in the Bible, we find His righteous judgment and justice, His holiness, His absolute truth, sweetly comply with his mercy and his love. And our human nature, we want to pit one set of those things against the other. We want to say, how could God be absolute in his mercy and love and be the God who brings judgment and wrath on sin? And yet the God of the Bible sweetly complies in all of these things. As one theologian once wrote, the cross is the only place where the loving, forgiving, merciful God is revealed in such a way that we perceive that his holiness and love are equally infinite. The cross is the one place where we we can see that His holiness and His love are equally infinite. There's no limit to them. His holiness demands judgment on sin. So how will He be loving and merciful to any who all deserve infinite wrath, the cross. In fact, the atonement has been summed up by one as the combination of inflexible righteousness with all of its penalties and transcendent love. The cross, we find inflexible righteousness and transcendent love. The God of peace made peace by the willing sacrifice of his Son in our place. There on the tree, Christ is speaking of the tree here, isn't he? He's saying, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. I planned on two sermons on this section. I think we're going to have another. I'm not sure when. There's so much here. But you can anticipate that next sermon by reflecting on how Christ is applying his own words to himself. Remember John 3? He spoke of the Messiah who would be lifted up like that serpent lifted up on the pole in the wilderness. And all who looked to Him and believed would have eternal life. Christ is saying, that's Me! In case you missed it a couple years ago. That's Me! I am lifted up on the cross. I will draw people's all peoples from all tribes and all tongues a people to myself who in faith come and receive eternal life. Christ here brings this life by receiving the punishment on himself. An eternity of hell poured out on his soul as he hung there on the tree for each lost sinner. And eternity finished, he says. It's finished! Hell finished for all who believe. But if we think of that old doctrine of the atonement, is it any wonder that Christ here has a troubled soul? The one sinless man in all of history, anticipating the imminent weight of eternal righteous wrath. How could his soul not tremble? And yet, as we see Christ's troubled soul, we also see. Like father, like son. Because this passage presents us with, da- with uh, uh, Christ and his father, or we could almost say his fathers. His earthly father, David, he's often referred to as the son of David, and his heavenly father, God, the first person of the Trinity, Christ here speaks to one, but he's imitating the other. He says, My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. David in Psalm 6 said this as well. In Psalm 6, verses 3 and 4, King David, so long ago, the ancestor of our Lord declared, My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. So we have Christ imitating his earthly father, David. My soul is greatly troubled. But then he stops imitating David, doesn't he? David cries out, save me! And Christ says, what shall I say? Save me from this hour? No. Christ here imitates his heavenly father, not David, while his soul is much more troubled than david with his earthly enemies christ with the eternity of hellfire looming over him christ imitates his heavenly father and said instead my soul is troubled but what shall i say save me from this hour but for this hour i came into the world father Glorify your name. Father, I've come to do your will. Father, I haven't come to be saved, but to save and give my life a ransom for many. Here we see Christ's heart for sinners and sufferers. Here we see Christ's heart for you when you are troubled in your soul. Father, don't save me. Save them. Father, glorify yourself. Like the Father, Christ the Son would show mercy and save. Indeed, David's prayer there that God would save for His mercy's sake would have been a prayer with no hope had Christ not been like His Heavenly Father. If Christ's desire to fulfill the Father's will if his heart had not been for mercy, if not for his willingness to submit his soul to trouble, to put himself in the way of absolute holiness of the Father against sinners, then David's prayer would have fallen flat. But our Savior gives us light for our troubled souls notice how this section draws to its conclusion as god the father has testified to christ and christ has anticipated his work on the cross we find the sad response of the people a savior who shares in their trouble And will remove their eternal trouble. And all they can say is. This doesn't fit with our view of the Messiah. We all know the Messiah is going to come to earth. He's going to do this wonderful thing in Jerusalem. And dwell there forever. A Messiah that dies. And is lifted up. Doesn't fit that. So. I think one of the commentators is right when he when he paraphrases their response in verse thirty four as What other son of man must you be talking about since since you don't fit the messianic image that seems to be their response and christ's response Shines forth here. He calls on them to turn to the light. The light is with you a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light. That you may have become sons of light. Again, He's directing them backwards, isn't he? Directing them back to how John spoke of his coming. John the Baptist. As summarized by John in this gospel in the first chapter. Speaking of Christ, John the Apostle writes, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. if they gaze upon Christ on the cross, the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened and they will see the Messiah in all the glory which brings peace. Not just tomorrow. It brings peace to the soul. The sad thing about this text is that it's quite clear most of them heard those words and walked away not believing because they loved their darkness more than light. And so their souls remained troubled. But we'll leave them there. Many of them did come to believe later, as the book of Acts shows us. But what about us? Is your soul troubled? As you gaze at God's Word here, as you gaze at Christ calling on you to look up at the Son of Man on the tree, as He says, the light is with you. And if you come to the light, you will be a son or daughter of the light, a son or daughter of God, and He will honor those who are His sons and daughters. So the question for us is, is our soul troubled is your soul troubled by sin i think we could say three things in reflection upon this passage if your soul is troubled by sin the first thing is good if your soul is troubled by sin good acknowledge that there is reason for your soul to be troubled by sin. Your sin is great and your sin deserves God's wrath and curse both in this life and in the one to come. But that needs to be followed very quickly from this passage with a second thought, which is look up. Is your soul troubled by sin good there's reason but look up look at Christ gaze upon him he was lifted up your sin is not too great your sin is great but it is not too great the son of man was lifted up on the cross and there he who knew no sin Who is both fully man and infinite God, bore the wrath of God for your sins. Look to him. Look up. Your sin is not too great. Which means the third thing your soul is troubled with sin. Good. There's reason. Look up. Your sin is not too great. Third, be assured. Be assured. He who was lifted up on the cross didn't say, well, I did what I could. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And he gave up his soul unto death. He who loved his own who were in the world loved them to the end. And though his soul was troubled, he didn't give it up to death until it was finished. The wrath of God for your sins, if you believe in Him, fully paid. So be assured, be assured that those who look to Christ in faith will hear the Father's voice in pleasure. Well done good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Be assured. Be assured. As he says in verses 31 and 32, you who have have known the accuser, point to your sin and trouble your heart. Be assured. He was lifted up. Christ was lifted up. So that the ruler of this world, the accuser, would be cast out. And I hope to come back to that in another sermon. But it's enough to say here, be comforted. The cross, where God's righteous wrath and God's infinite love come together, has dealt with all your enemies even as we wait for that last day when the last enemy death will be done away with. The guarantee is here at the cross. And at the grave, which was empty. Well, I I know there's a lot else that troubles your soul. Not only sin. But as we look at this text... The answer remains, look up. Whatever the trouble might be, the pain and suffering you experience, abandonment and loss, disappointments, trials, whatever the trouble and trial your soul experiences might be, the text still says to you, Jesus still says to you, look up to me on the cross. Ritter Boss once commented, Christ's entry into this hour is precisely why others before and after him have not prayed and will not pray in vain. Father, Save me from this hour. Have you realized that? David prayed, save me from this hour. And that wasn't in vain. Because David's greater son said, Father, don't deliver me from this hour. Glorify yourself because Christ had a troubled soul on the cross, you, in your troubled soul, may say, Father, deliver me. Deliver me from this moment. Or give me the strength for this moment in the realization of eternity to come. His soul was troubled, but he did not flinch from the cross. So that he might atone for us, but realize that he who atoned didn't stop there. He ascended to heaven and pleads the merit of his own blood to intercede for you continually. So that you might have confidence to draw near with your troubled soul. And know you are heard. Thanks be to God.